Well, hello and welcome to a new episode of The Political State from The Oklahoman. Today is February 2nd, Friday. I'm Ben Felder with The Oklahoman, and joining me for this week's episode is the Political State crew, Justin and Dale, and we have a newbie on The Political State show, but definitely not a newbie to Oklahoma politics, Chris Castile, who's covering elections for us. Chris, welcome. Thanks. Welcome Thanks. to the Good episode. To be here. Yeah, so uh, this week's episode is uh, going to be mostly devoted to looking ahead to the state legislative session, 2018 session, which gets kicked off Monday. It starts with the governor's state of the state address at noon. And uh, Dale, I'm sure you're uh, like a kid a couple of days before Christmas, huh? Well, it's, it's going to be exciting to see exactly what the governor says, what her priorities are this session. I think most of us can get a, a sense of what will be on her plate. Uh, but, you know, there's uh, uh, about 45 minutes or an hour of her talking, and uh, she's got to fill it somehow. So we'll see what she says. Yeah. Well, obviously the big issue this year and the big issue right out of the gate is going to be the budget. Um, but maybe some talk that there might be some early movement. I mean, usually the budget's the last thing to get done. Um, you know, who knows where it's going to happen. But uh, the House Speaker saying that, you know, he thinks there may be a vote as early as a few days in. And this isn't a surprise uh, for those who have kind of watched uh, Speaker Charles McCall and how he wants to lead the House. Uh, last year we had, uh, right out of the gate, uh, Real ID uh, adopted something uh, that uh, really everyone in, in state government just about wanted to get through. And uh, I, I think it uh, would be no surprise uh, for anyone to see that uh, Speaker McCall wants to get an early victory, an early win, um, as uh, as we really dig into the slog of session. Yeah, and you know, uh, Randy Ellison, the Oklahoma Today reporting, the Speaker McCall says, hey, I think I might be able to get uh, you know, the majority of my caucus challenging the Democrats to do the same thing, although uh, the Democrats are already expressing a little bit of uh, hesitation, saying, you know, there's some things that we want to see done differently, especially with this Step Up Oklahoma plan that's been talked about so much. Right. You know, Democrats aren't quite ready to come to the table. Uh, I, I think if you listen to their statements, uh, it, it's clear that they're open to a lot of the ideas. Um, but, you know, uh, I've also heard quite a bit about the fact that they haven't seen any language in, in bills. Um, you may think it's a, it's a good idea conceptually, um, but uh, whatever goes into a piece of legislation is a completely different thing and, and could have uh, significant differences with what you thought it would be. Yeah. Well, the budget will be a big theme. So will elections. It's an election year for most of the legislature, a race for governor. Uh, Chris, we've talked about on this show before how kind of interesting it is that you have a majority of Republican lawmakers that seem willing to increase taxes, but most of the gubernatorial field for the Republican uh, nomination isn't there yet. Yeah, no, they're not. Um, in fact, most have said that they would not support him. Uh, Oklahoma City Mayor uh, Mick Cornett, is, he hadn't ruled him out. He just said everything should be on the table. Um, others, Todd Lamb, the Lieutenant Governor, Tulsa businessman Kevin Stitt, have said, you know, it's, it's not necessary to raise taxes. You've got a dysfunctional, broken government. It, you know, you haven't cut enough. Gary Jones, the uh, current auditor and inspector and the former chairman of the Oklahoma Republican Party, actually did come out this week with a tax package that reflects a lot of the state, you know, the step up Oklahoma elements. Now these guys, they're running in an Oklahoma Republican primary. That's like the most conservative people in one of the most conservative states in the country, you know, one of the reddest states that you have. So, you know, historically they're, they're probably taking the right position on taxes. You know, there's, we had a, we had a column this week by former Senator Tom Coburn, mm -hmm. former U.S. Senator Tom Coburn, talking about all the ways still in government and how, you know, you, you shouldn't be raising taxes. And there, he is just like an icon 
for Oklahoma Republicans. And if, if, if that's the position that he's got, I, and I would think that, that it's still the position of a lot of Oklahoma Republicans. So it's risky for Oklahoma Republicans running in a statewide primary. This isn't the entire electorate right here. Mm-hmm. That, that they're, trying, they're trying to get the nomination from very conservative people. I went to um, a Republican Party um, event in Payne County, which is Stillwater, mm-hmm. mainly Stillwater, a, a couple weeks ago, and Todd Lamb, somebody asked him specifically about Step Up Oklahoma, and he said, I'm not for raising taxes. Did you hear that? I'm against raising taxes. Went on to say why he was against raising taxes, you know, and specifically taxes on oil and gas production. What was unusual about that is pretty, you know, pretty crowded. It's a small room, but it's pretty crowded. Is not a single person clapped. Hmm. And that, you know, I would have thought 10 years ago he would have gotten a standing ovation for just that flat statement. Yeah. I won't raise taxes, but it's Payne County. The difference being it's OSU. It's an, edu- you know, Oklahoma State University. It's an education-oriented county. They've seen all kinds of cuts. It may not reflect you know, the, your typical Oklahoma Republican Party gathering. Yeah. Well, if the legislature is able to, you know, pass through a budget plan in the early days or months of the session, um, you know, how, so, I mean, is, this is, may not be much of an issue for on the campaign trail, or is it? Or is that kind of the hope, do you think, for some of these candidates that this well, kind of I goes think away? They, yeah, I think they possible. definitely hope it, it goes away fast. And I, you know, asked the mayor that uh, specifically, and, you know, Yes, as a citizen, I hope they resolve this, but I think they all want to quit answering questions about it. I mean, none of them are going to vote on a you know, step-up plan. Yeah. But they're also obviously going to be asked about it, obviously going to be asked about teacher pay hikes, and if you're not for raising taxes, how are you going to pay for it? You know, and Todd Lamb, despite his opposition to these tax increases, and some of them are just that, um, and cigarettes and... Uh, uh, gross production tax and gasoline and diesel taxes, those are increases. He has said, well, you know, we need to take a look at all these sales tax exemptions, which would mean that somebody was going to pay more in taxes. taxes, They consider it not technically or ideologically a tax increase. Semantics. We've been down the semantics road in the past year. Neither does the Oklahoma Supreme Court. That's that's absolutely right. And and, and, and they're going to fall back on that that ruling. Yeah, if if you if you uh, eliminate an exemption, which technically raises a tax on someone, uh, the Supreme Court says that that's not a tax increase, and uh, you can pass it with a simpler majority of the House and Senate. Yeah. Is there any chance here that Payne County is not an outlier, and that we've seen a shift in public perspectives of taxes? I don't know. I mean, I I, I think that Payne County and maybe like Cleveland County, Oklahoma County, even. Might not, you know, might not necessarily be as opposed as some other counties, but but you look at it, as Ben said, you know, Ben made a really good point. This got a major, the supermajority, a step up type package of tax increases, got a supermajority in the Senate in November, 37 votes, and almost got a supermajority in the House. And as Ben said, a lot of those people who voted for it are up for re-election. So. They probably didn't consider it political suicide to do that. Yeah. So there could be, as as you suggest, some you know shift. And, and after years and years of these headlines and four day school weeks and everything else, you know, everything else that's been cut. I and mean, yeah. you guys all know the litany of it. 
Yeah. Well, Dale, do you, I mean, we, you know, you look at the votes from last year, but last year was last year. You know, it wasn't an election year. Yeah. And, you know, and Speaker McCall is saying that he feels pretty confident that he can get, you know, maybe, you know, in the low 50s of his members back on board with a plan like this. Um, you know, how, how accurate do you think we are right now at kind of whipping votes in terms of that vote count? I mean, is there a chance that, you know, it's actually going to be quite different in 2018, where there were some members last year that were willing to vote for it that this year just aren't going to come, come along? Well, it's a question of uh, optimism or hubris, right? When you look at Charles McCall's statements, you know, he said that there's no plan B, that they're putting all their focus and effort on, um, on this, uh, the, the, the list of ideas that uh, are in and around the step-up plan. Um, and you know, wh whether or not they actually are kind of thinking about something in the back pocket that they might trot out sometime in uh, March or April remains to be seen. Um, but you know, um, there's a lot of uh, a lot of pressure on uh, citizens to call their uh, elected officials and say support the step up plan. I don't know um, much about much of any. Uh, political communication going on to uh, reject proposed tax increases. Uh, so you can probably guarantee that uh, uh, your average state representative is getting a lot more calls uh, for people uh, saying support the step-up plan than those who are saying don't ever raise my taxes. Yeah. Well, we talked about it's going to take Democratic votes um, to get this through. And the Dems today are saying, you know, hey, we want to, we want to slow down a little bit. Mm -hmm. You know, the Dems are really good. They kind of remind me of... Um, you know, so my six-year-old son, he knows when he has an audience, right? When he's in the room and people are paying attention to him, and he's going to milk it for all it's worth. Because sometimes, you know, you're a little kid, you don't get attention all the time. And that's kind of how I, well, this is, I'm going to get some angry emails about this one, but I'm kind of comparing the Dems, um, not saying you're acting like a child, but in a way, like when the spotlight's on them and they've got the attention, like they, they milk it a little bit, right? They, they, they realize it, because it doesn't come around that often, right? right. So, and right. we've talked about that with, uh, it's a horrible analogy, I'm, just, I'm telling you, I'm going to get some, some bad <laughs> remarks on that one, but... Um, you know, the Democrats are, they've got some power, and they don't often have power. And we saw that last year, you know, Inman leading the House, you know, was, was going to kind of, um, you, know, you know, take advantage of that opportunity to push through some of their, um, you know, the policies that they wanted to see done. Um, and we can debate on how successful that was. Um, but this year, it looks like Dems are once again saying, hey, you need us, and, you know, we want to we wanna have a time to, to speak about what are the things that we want to see this session. What are we going to see from Dems here in the early weeks um, as they, you know, kind of put, put their offers on the negotiating table? Well, they want to make themselves appear relevant, mm -hmm. right? And well, um, they are, yeah, right? Yeah, well, e e even though uh, you're only talking about votes that require a, uh, a three-fourths majority, 76 votes in the House, um, uh, you know, beyond that, they want to make them, uh, themselves appear relevant to the voters uh, as they go into uh, the uh, November elections. They'd like to pick up some more seats. You know, they're not going to get a majority of the House, um, but you know, I think the, the the goal is to try to get uh, at least a few seats um, back from Republicans after more than a decade of uh, Republican control here. How, if they get every single vote in the House that they got in November. How do they get those other votes when they've actually added a new tax on renewable energy and income tax changes that are going to affect, I guess, mostly high earners, but it, it's an income tax increase on people. Yeah. How, how do they, they added money, they added tax hikes to it. How do they get those people who weren't, weren't even willing to vote for the 
the November package. Well, you know, uh, who are they? The, the Kevin Calfee. The, 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 yeah, the November package. You're talking about the, the conservative Republicans who uh-huh. um, who sort of uh, flipped away from the from the majority from the previous votes, and you, you only had a handful. You only had enough to sink the uh, the A plus package, as it was reported at the time. Uh, how you get them back? Um, how do you get them you, at all? You, you. How do you get them in the first place? Promise. Promise support from the from the uh, uh, the PACs. Um, there's a lot of money uh, in uh, Step Up uh, Oklahoma um, and the uh, the people who support it. Uh, when they had their presentation, I asked, you know, is is uh, support of this plan by lawmakers contingent upon your support for them in the election? And um, it I didn't get really a straight answer, but it it kind of seemed like it could eventually be. You know, if if uh, you know if you're uh, Billy Bob, whatever, and uh, you're part of the Step Up plan, uh, or you're a supporter of it, you can call your local lawmaker and really lean on them heavily uh, if you're already a, a big donor for them and say, this is what I want you to support. Well, one thing this Step Up uh, group has been successful in is, get, is building a, quite a big coalition. I mean, there may have been yeah. some criticism out of the gate about it being kind of a select few, but I mean, the list of supporters is, I mean, that's a long list now. Yep. And, Education Association, and, the hospitals. And, you know, and some different bedfellows, you know, that are a part of this to where, you know, depending on who the member is that you're trying to convince, there's probably somebody on that support list that has somewhat of an inside track, whether it's financially or just, um, you know, has that relationship to go after that lawmaker, I would think. Yeah. They're all Republicans, right? Didn't every Democrat in the House vote for it? Uh, I, I can't remember the exact total. Uh, if there were uh, Democrats voting against that, there were very, very few. But yeah, you're, you're really trying to, uh, to to capture probably a dozen um, Republicans who uh, who are, you know consider them, themselves more conservative on these tax issues and less willing to support them. Yeah. Well, and Justin, I mean, you asked this question earlier, and I thought it was a good question when you talk about, like, you know, is Payne County really an outlier? And I'm curious, Chris, I mean, you know, it's a, you know, politics is a numbers game, and, you know, a lot of the the numbers are coming from your more populated areas, like Oklahoma County, you know, maybe the Republican base in Oklahoma County is more Edmond in the suburbs area mm-hmm. like that. You know, you know, a Republican base that has seen the impact of these cuts, and mm-hmm. maybe a little bit more. Um, open to, uh, you know, increasing taxes. I mean, I, I just still think that it's interesting that you have a majority of Republican lawmakers saying they're willing to increase taxes. You have a lot of conservative organizations and businesses that are urging the legislature to raise taxes, and yet you still have, you know, most of the gubernatorial candidates saying absolutely not. I mean, what are the odds that someone like a lamb is really kind of um, put, trapped himself in a corner here at all, or, is, or do you still feel like you know out on the road that that's still the smart strategy? In a I, I like guess he does. Uh, again, it's a primary, so I, I, I don't I don't think that it's risky for him to be against these tax increases, especially since he does have this fallback. However, unrealistic it might be to suggest you know removing sales tax exemptions because when you look at that list. The list of sales tax exemptions. He, you know, he goes, he goes to all these forms saying we've got seven billion dollars of sales tax exemptions. That's unacceptable. Well, two of just two of them, and very, very broadly, what, what they are is like, you know, say a retailer buys inventory from a wholesaler to resell. Well, that's the biggest one. You know, is that the retailer doesn't pay the wholesaler sales tax, mm-hmm. and, and then the second biggest one is manufacturers buying things that become part of the end product that is in taxed to the end consumer. <clears throat> if you start taxing those things, you're basically building a 
you know, like a, a European value-added tax, taxing things along the, along the way. So that's never, the point is that there's never going to happen. There's no way to carve out within those two broad categories some kind of exception. So it's not real realistic to suggest that, because then you get into the only ones left are like agriculture, newspapers, pharmaceutical, you know, I mean, uh, you know, drugs. Mm -hmm. It's not really very realistic to think that you're going to come up with much revenue doing that. You know, tell like, get legislators in a room, don't give them lunch. You know, as he yeah. as he goes around saying, they're not going to do it. It's just not going to happen. So I mean, he's he's got this fallback position that well, we could look at these things, all these exemptions. That's not a realistic position at the mean, but at the same time, he's telling them, you know, these conservative voters, I won't raise your taxes. Yeah, and there is. I don't think you can. There are a lot of people out there. There will always be a lot of people out there in Oklahoma and other states who think that you still haven't cut the fat. Yeah. We've talked about this idea that I've, I've been almost surprised that Cornette has not jumped aboard the step up uh, Oklahoma plan. It sounds like his sort of thing. It, it has a large business following. Um, and this is a mayor, of course, who presided over maps and, and local taxes in that way. So yeah, are people. you surprised at all that he, he hasn't jumped aboard? <laughs> Again, you know, both of you know both Lamb and Cornette, some of their biggest supporters are the top leaders of Step Up. You know, Lamb's, I mean, um, the mayor's finance chairman, his treasurer of his campaign is David Rainbolt. You know, the head of Bank First, and was basically when they unveiled it, the spokesman for Step Up. You have some of the top, um, well, Chairman Emeritus. Um, uh, of Devon Energy, people who fought and people who fought these um, any change in the gross any increase in the uh, uh, gross production tax. These oil company executives are big lamb supporters. So, man, I talked to I got statements from some of them saying, you know, are you disappointed your candidate candidates you're supporting are not you know four step up? Oh no, we understand. You know, we still think these are the best person for the job so I can't say I was surprised but it was it was sort of a signal to me that that they still that these candidates that, that specifically Mick Cornett still fears this conservative electorate that he's trying to get votes from right now yeah it just seems like you have a weird dichotomy of supporting the legislature for this plan among Republicans but none among you know zero support among or at least stated support among uh, Republicans running for governor. So. Oh, Gary Jones has oh, come yeah, out for all yeah, of it. So. But, but so the much two front runners, yeah. maybe the three front runners, I would say, um, Cornette, Lamb, and Stitt, you know, mm -hmm. have not come up for it. Um, right. Despite, as I said, you know, Larry Nichols, Chairman Emeritus of Devon, being Todd Lamb's honorary campaign chairman. Yeah. Know. Well, you made, you, you made a good point earlier that, you know, none of these uh, guys running for governor are going to cast a vote on the matter uh, this year. Mm -hmm. um, and so there's one, it's one thing to not support it. It's another thing to actually go banging the drum against it. Right. None of these candidates are doing that. And so if you, you know, if you're part of the Step Up group, um, you may actually like that they're not supporting tax increases or taking that position because, you know, your goal, I mean, none of the, it's not like we're going to enter a new era of 
tax increases over the next decade. Not, I mean, not with the 75% yeah. uh, supermajority required for it. And most of the people with the Step Up group are not advocating for that. Right. So, I mean, you may be, they may be thinking, like, listen, we need to get some things done in the immediate future during the legislative session. But then someone's going to have to be governor next year, and mm-hmm. we don't necessarily want a you know a tax increasing governor to come in. You know, so I think that you know if you're part of the step up kind, you kind of can live with both, can't you? As long as you're can, as long as Lamb's not going around like, railing Bashing against it, it yeah. um, I think you're like, well, we understand what you're saying, and we may actually kind of be okay with that. Right, these guys have nothing to lose by opposing step up. And uh, if, they, if they were to support tax increases, they could lose votes in the primary. It's as simple as that. Um, uh, if you're supportive of the step-up plan and your candidate doesn't support it or um, uh, is saying that we really need to uh, uh, cut more than raise taxes, uh, you still have a, a year to work on them uh, before the next legislative session. Uh, there's a lot of time between now and February 2019 when uh, the uh, the next governor is really going to be able to push their proposals on the legislature. Yeah. Well, some, a lot of guys are wanting to become the next governor, but we still have uh, Mary Fallon for another year. This will be her last legislative you say session. You like it's so bad. Well, no, I just obviously <laughs> her, la- her last year. Um, she may probably be yeah. counting the, the days more, you know, more than anybody. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure but, everybody in that building is ready to just go home yeah. for a little bit. But uh, so she has her final state of the state coming up. Um, what impact at all will this play? Do you feel like not just in the session, but specifically with the budget negotiations? Governor Fallon, uh, historically, uh, over the past couple of years, has taken a more um, sort of hands-off approach, at least publicly. She's been very involved, uh, sort of behind the doors with her staff. Um, But uh, she's taken a little bit more of a hands-off approach when it comes to saying, uh, legislature, legislature, this is exactly what you need to do. She's presented proposals. Uh, but she's not going out every uh, every couple of days and having a press conference to uh, comment on the latest happenings of the legislature. Um, we, we saw a little bit more of uh, proactivity from her mm-hmm. when she vetoed the budget um, at, at the end of uh, the last uh, special session. Um, and she, she has sort of been trending a little bit more toward being forceful in trying to get something done uh, to fix the budget before she leaves office. She has um, a, a legacy uh, to protect for one, and she also, um, I assume, is still going to be a resident of the state of Oklahoma when she leaves office. So, uh, like anyone, she wants the state to uh, to turn out, you know, better than it was yesterday. Uh, so, and and you know, for her, that means um, raising revenue for the state and eliminating the the consecutive budget shortfalls, which this will be the fifth one. She kind of argues, doesn't she, that that this isn't her fault, that she's been telling the legislature to try to get this, uh, get the budget, quit quit borrowing, you know, from one account to to plug another temporarily, like do something permanently. And I, I know she had that very controversial proposal last year to extend the sales tax to services that are, that are not currently subject to yeah. that. Henry, Henry Bellman did that in the late 1980s and got about the same response to it. You know, well, the, the, the problem problem with that is as soon as you tell people what the list is, you start to develop uh, lobbyists who oh, come, come, to, come to your office. Um, uh, yeah, the so point being that she, she's trying to put it on the legislature for the crisis uh, that she says that the budget is currently in. Uh, she can't, well, she can't uh, introduce legislation. Right, she um, can't pass appropriations right. bills. Right, um, but she's been, she's been talking for years about the, uh, the off-the-top monies. That, that was sort of the first 
uh, alarm bell that was rung statewide uh, about budget issues and the fact that the legislature uh, was having less and less control over the budget um, to make decisions about where money should go. Um, off the top appropriations, you know, we'll take 30% of the sales tax and give it to that, 10% of the sales tax, give it to that automatically, and uh, at the end the legislature is left with uh, a sliver of, uh, of what originally came in to say this is what our priorities uh, should be. Mm -hmm. uh, she, she started on that uh, several years ago um, and was one of, the, one of the first to really to ring that bell. Um, and you know, uh, so uh, I guess my point's made that um, she, she's been talking about this for a while. Uh, whether or not the the, uh, the budget situation is her fault or the fault of Republicans with uh, tax cuts, the automatic trigger of income tax cuts over the years, you know, who's to say? Mm -hmm. uh, but Republicans will uh, quickly make the point that reductions in the gross production tax were uh, overseen by Democrats. Yeah, well, it'll be interesting to watch her speech on Monday. Um, I mean, I mean, obviously she's going to talk about the budget. I'm curious how how forceful she'll be, and yeah. you know how much she'll um, you know directly target some of her remarks towards Democrats. Is she going to basically offer some kind of olive branch, or is it going to be a hey setting up the setting the table to say if this doesn't get through, it's your fault, and all of Oklahomans are are, are looking at you. Um, so uh, just a couple days until the session starts, uh, Capitol also been going over through a makeover. I bring that up because the big news out of the Capitol this week seemed to be new elevators, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> it's a beautiful new elevator. Beautiful. What is it? Yeah. Just uh, it's, it's designed uh, like the original specification. Solomon Layton, the uh, architect of the state capitol, um, over 100 years ago, um, this is what he envisioned that an elevator would look like. Um, the elevator is just a small part of it. but. Um, the renovation of the Capitol, the, uh, the exterior is scheduled to be finished in 2019. The interior, uh, all the way up from the ground uh, to the, the top offices uh, in the Capitol are scheduled to be done in 2022. Um, and what we got to see this week is the really the first interior uh, remodeling, renovation, restoration that we've been able to see with the corridor leading in from the western entrance. This building was literally falling down around the people. It was, in it. Yeah. it was just a mess. Yeah. I mean they were putting duct tape on stuff for decades really. I mean it, it the you know I spent a long many years in in Washington DC and they they just have a totally different attitude the Congress does mm -hmm. and the, towards maintaining you know their their heritage there the legacy of you know the the, the monuments, the Capitol building itself, you know, they, they didn't mess around with letting those buildings get into disrepair and those monuments get into just some, something in D.C. on the mall or the building, yeah. Capitol building, the House office, you know, there, something's always under repair there. And they just delayed and delayed and delayed necessary renovations in the, at the state Capitol. And it's, now it's taking years and costing a lot more than it, than it should have, probably. Yeah. I mean, the, bit, the last big, you know, project capital would have been the Dome, I guess. Yeah. And, I, and know, that was done with mostly private money because, yeah. you know, the state legislature didn't want to pay for it. Yeah, it's, it's hard to imagine that that would happen today. I mean, that you could get, you know, public dollars to, for something like that. But, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see that. Um, well, real quick, hey, before we uh, wrap up this week's episode, Justin, so you had a story actually dropped today on uh, former Attorney General, Oklahoma Attorney General Scott Pruitt, now at the EPA. Um, we've been writing about the, uh, an audit and, and some of his involvement with it. Uh, tell us a little bit about that story. Uh, yeah, so we found out, we got a letter uh, to the Oklahoman, uh, it was leaked to the Oklahoman, that reveals for the first time that um, 
Scott Pruitt, as Attorney General, handed over the results of the audit, investigative audit, uh, done by Auditor Gary Jones in his office, into Tar Creek and the relocation assistance program there. Um, this has long been speculated that there was there were concerns there, and the audit from Jones supposedly shows that. That audit, of course, has not been made public, which is a huge rift between Jones and the Attorney General's office for two attorneys general now, Pruitt first and now Hunter. Um, so this reveals some aspects of those findings for the first time, and it reveals that Pruitt, much to the anger and chagrin of uh, auditors, revealed parts of that audit at least, if not the whole audit, to those being investigated under investigation, which uh, according to auditors and investigators I spoke to is very unusual for a criminal audit um, or an investigative audit as it's sometimes called. So that is the, the latest development uh, we have today. Yeah, a uh, good story at newsok.com uh, and it'll be in this weekend's paper. Um, you know, obviously an important issue because it's happened here in Oklahoma, but you know, Scott Pruitt is, is, continues to be an important figure in Oklahoma, not just because he's from here, but uh, you know, his name still gets attached to you know, potential runs at the Senate from Oklahoma. Absolutely, yeah, that, <laughs> that speculation is not going away and 2020 speculation will not go away as previous speculation about Scott Pruitt running for Senate didn't go away sometimes until it didn't pass. So that, uh, that speculation will continue and speculation about what is in that audit and until it is released or if it is ever released, that speculation will continue as well. So we have a hearing February 23rd in an open records lawsuit uh, to determine whether or not, uh, you know, this can be released. Essentially the auditor's office is just waiting for permission from a judge uh, to release it because right now the highest opinion has been the Attorney General's opinion as the top lawyer of the state and the Attorney General does not want it released. So we'll see what um, uh, Oklahoma County District Court Judge says February 23rd or in the weeks after when she makes her decision. Yeah, well good story that you can find at newsok.com right now. Um, and uh, Chris, good work from you in uh, covering the, chasing these uh, gubernatorial candidates all over the Thank state. Thank you, man. I know you're going to continue <laughs> to do that. And Dale, they didn't give, they really give you a break in the off session in the legislature yeah. and you're right back at it. Um, I took a few days off. Took a few days off. Um, I mean, not much got done, <laughs> technically, but uh, uh, you know, sessions were still continuing. So, But the 2018 session starts on Monday, and we're going to have wall-to-wall uh, -wall coverage of that. Uh, live continuation of the second special second session. It's two yeah. sessions. Monday, there will be two sessions, technically. Well, if, if they even gavel in for the if they, special yeah, session. Yeah. But yes, the, the second special session is still going. It's still ongoing. So uh, coverage uh, at News OK. Um, on Monday, including, I think we'll be live streaming the, the governor's address, uh, which is slated for noon, correct? Yes. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this week's episode of Political State, which you can always listen to on your favorite podcast or also watch at newsok.com. For The Oklahoman, I'm Ben Felder. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you again next week.